0: Okay, keep your hand up if you've gone geocaching. Okay, all right. Um, can one of you explain what geocaching is? Go ahead. There we go. So people hide little containers with prizes in it, and you look it up, and you find the geographic like, location, and you use the GPS to Light find it, 11, you kind of go hiking or whatever. Yeah. And then when you find it, you leave your name, and you can take something out and put something in Right. Or well, put a flag on the top of Ah, so so there's something hidden. I was with somebody, uh, actually, we were sitting at a restaurant one time, and he was on his phone, and he said, hey, there's a geocache in the light pole in the parking lot out behind the restaurant. So after they ate, they went out there, and they found the little note or whatever it was hidden away that was geocached, and uh, he checked it off that he had been there and left, I don't know, he signed something or leave something else in there. So, so some people who are out walking, uh, maybe around a town or somebody's like that, do it just as a way to have fun while they're out walking. They're looking for something, right? Um, any morel hunters? Any morel hunters? Oh, okay. All right. So, Jonathan, you got to tell us what that is. A is a mushroom. Okay. Yes. Okay. I haven't had a morel since I was a little boy growing up in southeastern Ohio. We had them growing under our, our apple trees. But I've noticed around here that it's like a sport, um, and it's about now, right? Is it is about now when they're they're popping out? Wet, so right, right. now like a little later on. Yeah, it to- starts to warm up a little bit. And people kind of watch for that combination of moisture and right right weather. And then I'll see uh, parking lots at trailheads with a bunch of cars and people walking out with little little sacks. So anybody like morel mushrooms? Anybody like? Okay, yeah, yeah, so they're delicious, right? So again, the idea is that you are looking for something. You're out there in the woods and you're hunting something. Well, what I want to talk about is reading the Bible with that kind of attitude, that kind of, of mindset and goal that as you read the Bible, you're looking for something. And we were just talking with Dory about Bible reading a little bit here a few minutes ago. And we probably, let's say it this way, I would say probably all of us know we should read our Bibles. Um, and that reading our Bibles is helpful to us, helps us know God, helps us know how to live. Uh, but maybe can, can fall into a little bit of a routine and uh, maybe just do it because, uh, well, we have a... Um, a goal to read through it, or we feel an obligation to read it, or we know it will help us, but lose some of the sense of of purpose in that. So I thought it'd be helpful to talk about reading your Bible with purpose. And um, I did share something like this in a chapel at the college not too long ago, so if any of you were there, you might be a little bit familiar with this, but hopefully it'll be a good reminder for you. And we're going to look together at Deuteronomy chapter 17, Deuteronomy 17. And I'd like us to think about our our intake of the word, how the Bible comes into our minds and into our lives, And, and think about reading regularly and reading consistently, but also reading it intentionally, reading the Bible with purpose. Uh, Deuteronomy 17 includes a record of God's instructions to the Israelites about their king. And Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 and 15, tell them that uh, he should be an, uh, an Israelite. And then in verses 16 and 17, there's a caution about his heart. Let me read these verses. So this is a caution about the king's heart. Deuteronomy 17, 16 But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. All right, so so the instruction is the king should not own an excessive number of horses or have multiple wives and not accumulate large amounts of gold. And the reason for that is these signified political power and material wealth and sensual indulgence. And they were to be on guard. The kings were to be on guard against these downfalls of leaders, pride and sensuality and materialism. So, so they had to be cautious about who they selected as king. But then he also gave some very specific instructions about a practice that was supposed to be part of the king's daily schedule, and that is reading the scriptures. So let's read starting in verse 18. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law, meaning the scriptures that they had, in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So the kings were instructed to read God's word, to read the scriptures, and to do that consistently, but also to do it with a purpose in mind. And you'll see the word that, I referred to this in the message a while ago. Uh, You see the word that in verse 19, Uh, you see it again in verse 20, um, three different times. So, so that's, that's giving the sense of purpose. So here's why he was supposed to do this. Now, we're not kings in Israel, are we? But again, as we talked about this morning, there is a principle and there's an example that we can follow. God places a high priority on the consistent intake of the word and the frequent intake of the word, And maybe we could say that like the the men who would become kings, we also are vulnerable to things like pride and materialism and indulging our flesh in sinful pleasures. And so just like the kings would need a resource to help them have a right heart, we do as well, don't we? We serve God. We want to live for God. We want to have a right heart as well. Uh, So the scriptures were a means for doing all of that for those kings of Israel, and it is for us today as well. So what I want to find here today as we look at this is five purposes to have in mind as we read God's word, and uh, I'm not going to do everything like Sean does, but I will write the words up on the board, okay? So you can um, uh, put them in your handout there. So the first purpose is read the Bible to understand God. I'm going to try. I should slow down. How's that? Okay. If I slow down, I think I can make it so you can read it. To understand God. There we go. Uh, Verse 19, and it shall be with him. He shall read it all days of his life. And you see the first purpose statement there, verse 19, that he may learn... To fear the Lord his God. Um, when, you, when you see fear in the Bible, uh, what, what do you think of, what will be the meaning of fear when we see it in the Bible? Is it being scared? Is it being afraid? Or is it something else? What do you think when it talks about fearing the Lord? Gabriel? Proverbs, the fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. All right. Somebody else, fearing God. What? What would that mean? Great. Reverence. That's a good word. To reverence. To um, have a high respect for him. Anything else? Say it again. Stand in awe. Stand in awe awe of God. So we would say it's to have an understanding of who God is that results in a a reverence, a respect, to be in awe of him. And that, that is the idea. So notice what he says here, though. Again, in these words, it says that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. So why would people need to learn to fear God? What do you think? Why would people need to learn to fear God? Beginning of okay. All right. Yep. Good. Okay. 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 Yeah. We, we need help. We need to be encouraged. We need to grow in our understanding of who he is so that we will fear him. And and that is the idea. And I say it this way. We naturally think of God on our own terms in ways that conform to our ideas of what God should be like. So a couple of examples of that. One is uh, thinking of of having respect for God and um, uh, having reverence for him. If I have a need in my life, let's say some kind of material need, and I'm praying for God to answer that need, to meet that need. I'm praying for God to help me and to to meet that need. And it doesn't happen when I think it should. So I I, I want that need to be met pretty quickly, like now or tomorrow. I want it to happen soon. I don't want to have to wait. Uh, I don't want to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced. So I'm praying for God to meet that need, and it doesn't happen right away. Now I have to adjust my mind, don't I? I have to think in terms of the fact that God is in control. God has the right to do what he wants when he wants. God can choose what he's going to help me with, how he's going to meet that need, when he's going to do that. And and so I have to adjust my thinking. And the idea is I need to learn to respect God's sovereignty. I need to learn to, to revere his authority and his wisdom and, and his right to choose when and how to meet the needs in my life. Or I might need to adjust my view of what my needs are. I might need to recognize God has the right to define what I need, right? So that, that's, I think that's the idea of learning to fear God, learning to have an awe of him. Another example would be going through a trial. So let's say somebody's going through a severe health problem or a severe financial problem and and want circumstances to change. We want relief. We want healing. We want the problem resolved. But what does God do with trials? He doesn't just relieve us from them, does does he? No, he uses them. They are instruments God uses in our lives, and so he uses them to... Uh, to break us of independence and self-reliance. And we can become disappointed with God, maybe even resentful toward God, because he's not changing our circumstances. He's not fixing the problem. He's not addressing the issue. So we need to learn to fear God, respect his authority and his right to arrange my circumstances any way he chooses to bring me to full reliance on him and to to shape my character, to shape our lives. So the scriptures help us learn that, don't they? The scriptures help us learn who God is and his prerogatives and his, his rights and his authority and his purposes and to respect them. And it's natural to want a God who caters to our wishes and accommodates our desires, but the Bible helps us have a right view of him. So with each of these um, uh, principles, I'm also going to give you a question, and this is a way to think as you read your Bible. So as you read your Bible, um, ask, you the, ask this question as you read, um, what is God showing me about himself? What is God showing me about himself? As you read the stories as you read through the Old Testament, read the stories, uh, look at the nature of God. You see that God is involved. He's not removed, is he? He is engaged with the world, with history, with his people, with everybody. You see God has a higher purpose as you read through those stories. You know, you see the, the David and Goliath, and you see Saul and the Philistines, and all those stories happening, but you realize it's not just about those scenes but there's, God has a higher purpose. There's a higher purpose for all of them as God's plan unfolds over history, but in every individual scenario as well. Uh, what, what do you learn about God as you read through Leviticus? Okay. Right. Life and yes. Lots of ceremonies, lots of rituals, lots of sacrifices, lots of procedures. Rachel? Yes, 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 Judy. Yes, right. Orderly, detailed, ultimately, that He is holy and He is righteous, and that we are separated from Him, but He has made a way, and for us to to be reconciled to Him, and of course, in that, setting, it was the sacrifices through the priests, now it's through Christ, but we have a holy God, right? Uh, What about when you're reading the Psalms? What do you learn about God when you read the Psalms? Think of some specific Psalms, Psalm 1, Psalm 23, a picture of wisdom. That's really good, that is, yes. So here you have people who are struggling with wars and trials and enemies and heartaches and all those things. And God is giving them wisdom to know how to respond to those circumstances. Excellent. Good. Good. What, what do you learn about people from Psalms? What do you hear a lot of in the Psalms? Yes. You, David wrote a lot of them, and you hear a lot of what was going on in his life. Yeah. you going to say something, Faith? Yes. There are highs and there are lows, aren't there? So, there are people expressing their joys and celebrating and praising God. And you have people like David and others in times of anguish and heartbreak and, and fear in the sense of being afraid. So, you see people's emotions and their circumstances. But through it all, you see a God that you can trust, a God who, who works through all those circumstances. So, again, we, we, see, we get a view of God from, uh, from the Psalms. Uh, the prophecies, I'm just going to name a few quickly. He is in control. The life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Jesus displaying grace and truth, right? He was full of grace and truth. Um, the, the epistles, you see the doctrines. Uh, God is true and the author of truth. What about when you read the book of Revelation? What do you learn about God? Yeah, that's what I learned. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he's a righteous judge. Yeah, what else? pardon me? Tribulation? Yes, yeah. The righteous judge will enact judgment, but also giving people opportunities to hear the gospel and turn to him. And ultimately, he, he brings everything he has planned to completion. We have a God who brings it all to completion. So that's just a quick survey, right? And so as we read the scriptures, we can learn about God and understand him. Um, Jesus said in John 539, the scriptures testify of me, Jesus said. John 539, the scriptures testify of me. So as we read the word, we can see how everything points to Christ as well, can't we? Yeah. Um, there are different ways of doing this. Uh, some people keep a little journal with titles and attributes and descriptions of God, um, kind of a biography of God. I think that's a good way good way to do it. Um, and, and just keep track of those. And then also you find that that helps your prayer life. So as you journal and write down the attributes and characteristics of God that you find, then that can become something you can use to pray and praise God and, and worship him for those. All right. So the first way to read your Bible is with purpose is to read to understand God. And then in uh, Deuteronomy 7, 19, 17, 19... Um, It says, uh, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. So the second purpose is to read the Bible to know what to do, know what to do. Uh, The the text says, be careful. It means to keep watch over. It means to pay careful attention because you regard it as important. Um, It's like paying attention to the road and not texting. Because you know you need to watch what's ahead. You know that somebody could stop in front of you, right? So you keep, even if you might be distracted and want to send that message, you just keep bringing your focus back on the road because you know it's very important. Um, It's like paying attention to a teacher when you know there's going to be a test. Just you know that you need to listen. You know that you need to be focused in. That's that's the idea of, of this word. And sometimes we have to discipline ourselves to pay attention, don't we? Because we can be so easily distracted by a hundred other things, and that's definitely true when, uh, when reading the Bible. Paul said to the Christians in Thessalonica, he said, for this reason, we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in you who believe. So that's why we pay attention, right? Because it is truly the word of God, And so we should pay attention accordingly. But we do that. The reason we pay attention is so that we can act on what we learn. He says that you may be careful to observe, and that means to to do. The word observe means to carry out a course of action, carry out a course of action. All right, so let's go to James chapter 1. I haven't done the candy reward uh, procedure here, so maybe we can do that now. I didn't stock it. Is it okay for me to use it? <laughs> All right. Oh, there's a whole other case of it here. So, okay. Are you in charge of this? Sure. <laughs> so uh, we're going to read verses 19 through 25, and let's let's do it this way. Um, I need seven people. One, two, three, four, five. With help. That's okay. Need two more? Six, seven. Okay. And just keep this going to whoever reads, okay? So I'm, I'll start it here and just send it back to whoever, whoever reads. and You can help yourself. We're just going to read it continuously though, okay? So uh, so whoever raised their hand first can start in James 119. And then we'll just go around and read through verse 25. All right. Who's who's first? Okay, go ahead and start us out, Josiah. So then might be- Yep. Yeah. Just one verse. That's great. Okay. And then verse 20. see who, somebody else with verse 23 or what are we on sorry verse 23 right okay oh okay um okay somebody who else raised their hand okay go ahead faith if you would for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror okay himself goes away immediately Okay. And is there one more? Okay. Who else would like to do it and get your very own piece of candy? Okay. Thank you. Lynn. Verse twenty-six. If anyone among you thinks he is religious without a bridleless tongue, but a sinner in his own heart, this one is religious and is useless. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So look back at verse nineteen, and when he says swift to hear, that's the idea of paying attention. So be attentive. And sometimes we, we hear this verse applied to our relationship with other people and communication and how we should listen to people. Um, and it could be applied that way. But, but in this context, he's probably more likely talking about our relationship with God and God speaking to us. And I'll show you why in a second. So, so he says, pay attention, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So don't just react and be defensive and, and shut down what God is saying to you. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we're reacting to what God tells us and not listening to it, not, not obeying it, he says God's righteousness will not be worked out in your life. Verse 21, lay aside different kinds of sin. And then here he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. So there's the focus on God's word, right? Receive it with meekness, humility, willingness to listen, willingness to change. But not only receive it. We might say not only read it, but verse 22, do it. Act on it. And then he talks about how we need to look in the mirror uh, of God's word and and follow that. So, So that's the idea. Successful Bible reading is not just going through it, right? It's not just reading through the Bible, but it is successful when we make conscious changes in our lives based on what we read. And, and that can be challenging. And that's where we have to, to be open to what God shows us and be willing to make those changes, even if it's hard, even if it's uncomfortable, um, even if it's not something that we would do if we had our own way to choose to do what God's word says. So we have to be willing to change our attitudes, our words, our actions to align with those instructions. So here's the question we can ask. Uh, what is God instructing me to what? To do, yeah. What's it telling me to do in this passage? Now, not every passage is going to have direct instruction, but some will. And we can look at what that is for us. What should I correct? What choice do I need to make? What do I need to change? And then ask yourself, am I willing to make the changes God's word directs me to make? All right, let's go back to Deuteronomy and chapter 17. So read it to understand God. Read it. So you'll know what to do. And then number three comes from verse 20, Deuteronomy 17 20, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. And this one is read the Bible to have, let's see, to have a right view of yourself. So read the Bible to have a right view of yourself. Do you think a king would naturally have a high view of himself? Um, He's placed in this high position and uh, everybody is doing what he wants and bowing to him and respecting him, waiting on him, carrying out his commands. He's the center of attention, right? And that can happen to us as well. Um, We can feel self-important. We are susceptible to pride. And much of that is viewed in how we view others. Notice the warning um, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren So the idea is that that he views others as inferior and he feels that he is superior um, and considers himself superior to others. This is like what Paul says. In fact, let's go there. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 and we'll have some more readers here. Philippians chapter 2. Here, I'll write it up here. Okay. And can I have two more readers? Okay, Lemuel and Rachel. All right, so let me will you read uh, Philippians two verse three? Let nothing be done through selfish abundance or consent, but in fooliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Okay, and then verse four. Okay, so Paul's telling us to not think of ourselves as superior to other people. That can be, that can be a struggle sometimes, can it? Um, he's saying that we should consider others better or more important than ourselves and view them that way. And, and he says in verse 5, we didn't read this one, but let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So, so this is not natural. We are instinctively self-centered. We think of ourselves But we can choose to have this different kind of thinking, the mind of Christ. We can choose to have a different way of viewing ourselves and other people. And God's word helps us to do that. Helps us to see ourselves as we really are and see others um, as the way that God wants us to see them. And the way we shape our thoughts this way is by the word of God. So the question to ask is, what is God revealing about my view of myself and others? What is God revealing from this passage of Scripture about myself and about others? So as you read Old Testament characters, do you see perfect people? No, you see people with all kinds of faults, don't you? Some of them very, very serious. And we realize that human beings, as great as they might be in our eyes or as important as they might seem, have faults and flaws and, and are prone to sin. And we can see ourselves in that sometimes if we're honest and say, you know what, if I were in that situation, what would I do? How would I respond? What, what might come out about me in that situation? Um, when, you, when you read the poetry, as we talked about, when you read the Psalms, you see people's anguish and sorrow and frailty. Um, I referred at the beginning of the morning service to Isaiah, and he was talking to people who were in rebellion. So as we read through those prophets, which sometimes can be some, some tough sledding when it comes to reading, right, reading through the prophets, and you can sort of get lost in all of this you know, lofty language and everything the prophets are saying and think, wait a minute, They're addressing people who were in rebellion against God. So so where do I see that in here, and is there any of that in my own heart? Is there any kind of rejection, resistance, or rebellion against God? Um, Let me ask you, what were some of the, the sins Jesus addressed in the Gospels as he preached and taught and interacted with certain individuals? What were some of the sins he addressed in people's lives, anybody think of any? Okay. The hypocrites of the Pharisees. Okay, would you call it call it the of the Pharisees? And the yeah, that they had yeah. In, okay. They the right. In yes. In, in their right. Yeah, there was a pridefulness. There was this. They were self-righteous, weren't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything else come to mind? Yep. Uh, turns over the tables, the tables the temple. Okay, yep, they were using, um, you know, the temple for selfish purposes, for materialistic purposes. Okay, good. Yep, yeah, Brenna. Yeah, exactly, right. They each wanted to be in the position of importance. So, so you get the idea. As Jesus addresses these sins and these problems, we don't just see them as struggles that those people had, but struggles that we can have, and we can see ourselves like in a mirror um, in in those gospel texts. And we could think through a lot of the, the different sections of Scripture this way. Um, and and if we're honest, we'll see ourselves in many of these areas, but also. We, we see Jesus as, as the sacrifice for sins, but also as the model for us to follow as we grow in likeness to Christ, as Philippians 2 says, right? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So we, we can grow in our humility, our view of ourselves as not being self-sufficient, not being righteous in our own abilities, uh, not superior to other people, but who we really are and the truth about what God wants us to be. We all know sad stories of people who stray, right? We're going to go back to, uh, back to Deuteronomy now. Um, one of the purposes of God's word is to keep us on track. And the Old Testament kings needed help staying on the right path, and we do as well. So that brings us to a fourth purpose for reading the Bible. And we see in verse 20, uh, the second... Phrase there, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. So we'll call number four, read the Bible to prevent failure. To prevent failure. There are many distractions and temptations, uh, many enticing ideas in our world, and we have to be anchored to truth. If we are not, um, then we can easily turn aside, easily pursue the world's values and things that bring pleasure rather than God's will. The term turn aside here in verse 20 is how God described the children of Israel when they were worshiping the golden calf. So it's a very serious uh, vulnerability, very serious possibility. Um, Exodus thirty-two-eight says, They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. So they replaced God with a material object as an object of worship. Think about the great kings. Saul, what happened to Saul, right? Seemed to start strong, but then he turned aside. He became self-willed. We know about David. He turned to sinful pleasure. He committed adultery. Uh, Solomon committed many of the things that, that uh, God warns about here in this passage we just read before when we're looking at together. Um, he pursued multiple wives and um, treasure of gold, um, became enamored with possessions and pleasure, And so you have to wonder if these men allowed their daily time in the word to slip or else it just became routine and and lost its purpose. Um, Look at 2 Chronicles. Let's go to 2 Chronicles for a minute. I just want to show you an example here. Uh, 2 Chronicles is about, uh, or these chapters, 2 Chronicles starting in... um, Chapter twenty, is where we'll look. Chapter twenty is about King Jehoshaphat. He was king of Judah, and when he listened to God's word through the prophets, he prospered. And when he didn't, he experienced disaster. Uh, look at Second Chronicles twenty, and uh, yeah. Verse 17, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. Yeah. Chapter 20, yep, and we're going to look at verse 17. All right, so it says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So this is one of the prophets, and he is encouraging the people of Judah who are about to be attacked by probably a million-man army, um, the Moabites and the Ammonites, attacking Judah. And the prophet is telling the people of of Judah, you don't have to worry. God's going to take care of you. All right? So, So Jehoshaphat previously had disregarded some of God's instructions to him. But here... It seems that, that he's paying attention. So look with me down in verse 20. Look at 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. So, so he's doing what... God intended the kings to do. Listen to God's word. It came to them through this prophet. Listen to God's word and follow it. Let God do his work. All right? Now, look at the end of chapter 20. And by the way, God did did give them the victory there. Then look at near the end of this chapter at verse 35. And I'll, I'll read these verses for us. So the end of chapter 20, verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. Let me stop there. Do you think Jehoshaphat here is doing what God wanted him to do? No, he's not, because he's making an alliance with an ungodly king. Verse 36, And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships, ships in Ezion geber and uh, we won't turn to another passage here, but there's another passage that says they did this to get gold, right? They were going for gold to bring it back into the kingdom. Again, disregarding one of God's instructions for the kings of Israel. Verse 37, But Eliezer, the son of Dodo of Marisha prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so they were not able to go to Tarshish. So what happened? He disregarded what God said. It brought disaster. The ships were destroyed, and he could not go. So, so the, the lesson here is this. When, when Jehoshaphat listened to God's instructions, he prospered. When he disregarded God's instructions, he experienced destruction. Just an example of how uh, consulting God's word when making life's decisions and heeding what it says Um, helps us do what God wants us to do. All right, so here's the question Ask How is God... I'm going to put it over here so I have a little more room at the bottom. How is God warning me? How is God warning me in this passage? God's Word helps us know what is right and how to do it. And sometimes a passage might warn us about putting ourselves... In a place where we are tempted, it might caution us about the kind of person that we should spend time with. God's word might confront your tendency to worry or to be anxious. And there are many stories, instructions, prophecies that challenge us to be careful in how we live. So as we read our Bibles, look for those warnings. Uh, When Faith and I lived in Wisconsin... That was uh, back 1994 to 2003, and I pastored a church there. And just like you have here, there are dear, sweet people in the church family that you grow to love. And uh, there was one lady who was in her 90s, and her name was Mary, Mary Wangard. She drove herself 20 miles every Sunday through the streets of Milwaukee to our church, And she was very faithful, always there whenever she could be. Uh, Mary told us that when she was a little girl, her parents wouldn't take her to church. And so she would walk by herself to a nearby church. She was single all her life. She lived by herself. She loved the Lord. She loved the church. And she was just a warm sunbeam of joy in, in our church family. And Mary had several Bibles. And before she died, she gave one to us. And that Bible is filled with her marks and her notes. She has notes inside the covers, filling those, those blank pages. She has red and different colored lines, underlining verses all through her Bible. She has notes written in the margins. She has notes inside the back cover, and she even has notes in the table of contents and the maps. We still have the Bible. I mean, she just has notes all through that Bible. So, so I think we could, we could say from that that Mary read her Bible, but she read it with purpose. She was looking. She was learning as, as she studied her Bible. And I think there is a definite connection between Mary's long life of faithfulness to God and her purposeful reading of her Bible. So that brings us to to this fifth reason to read the Bible. And we see it in verse 20, uh, back in Deuteronomy. Let me get back there. And verse 20, um, the last part. And that he may prolong his days in his kingdom he and his children in the midst of Israel. So we'll call number five, uh, read the Bible to finish well, to finish well. Read the Bible to finish well. And, and the way that the, the Hebrew language is constructed here, shows that it's not just that he will live um, and lead for a long time, but that he is actually causing this to happen by what he does. So, so he is causing his life and his leadership to, to have longevity. If he will read the word of God with purpose and live and lead accordingly, he will have a long life and an enduring ministry. And this is one of the challenges, isn't it, we have as Christians, is just to, to endure, to persevere through trials, through the ups and downs of life, and to do so all the way to the finish line. And the scriptures help us do that, don't they? They give us, they give us hope. Um, I'm not going to have you turn there. I'm just going to write this reference down, though, in case you want to jot it down. So so listen to Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So the Scriptures help us endure. So, So when you read, you can... You can ask the question, how is God strengthening me for tough times ahead to endure today or through tough times ahead for this passage? And I think my blanks might be a little different here, but I have in my notes. So can you read me what you have there? there? Oh, that's one I forgot to put blanks on. So you've got it. Okay. Faith, can you read what yours says for me out loud? Okay, there you go. Thank you. So you don't have to um, write that one in. That one's on there for you. So, so that's what you're looking for. Um, and, and as you take in the word, you are building into your life strength to endure. And sometimes we are doing it before, just like you eat a meal, and then you use that strength to work during that day. We take in the word into our lives, and it may be later. It may be days, weeks, or years later. We receive strength from that and, and grow from that. Christians who endure hard times have a pattern in place of reading and trusting and following God's word in trials and discouragement and reminding ourselves of these scriptural truths. So read with that purpose in mind. Uh, I read a news story one time about a man who uh, built houses. He had his own construction company, and he was a Christian, and he had a practice that was probably well-meaning. Um, he, when he would construct a new home, he would write Bible verses on the studs and he would think, okay, I'm building this home for this family and there's a daughter or a son that's going to live in this bedroom. And he would think of a verse and write it on the stud that would be later covered up by the drywall in that room. Uh, he would actually place a Bible in Part of the foundation where there was an opening or a, an empty space, he would put a Bible in there and it would all be covered up by the flooring and the structure of the house. And again, he was probably well-meaning. He had the, the thought that, well, if I just put these verses on the studs and bury a Bible underneath the house, that somehow that will bring some kind of blessing to, to the people who are going to live here. I think you and I know that probably wasn't the case. Now, I'm sure if he prayed for those people, you know, that could certainly um, be helpful. But, but having a Bible buried in your house isn't really going to make a difference in your life. And I would say the same is true of having a Bible sitting on our shelf or having a Bible loaded onto our phone. That's great. That can be very helpful, very useful. But, but that's not going to change your life, is it? That won't change who you are. But reading it and doing so with purpose will. It will change your life. Matthew Henry said, the word of God is not designed merely to be an entertaining subject of speculation, but to be a commanding rule of conduct, a commanding rule of conduct. So even as as we learn God's word in Sunday school, if you're a student in classes, um, as you learn the Bible, it's not just so you can fill your head and answer the questions right, it's to change your life, right? It's to transform the kind of person that you are. So let's make God's Word um, our source of strength and guidance and transformation in our lives. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, again, we pray that you would make us complete in every good work to do your will. Thank you for how your Word has helped us today, and I pray that each of us would take from the things we've talked about and learned something that would... That's personal for each of us, would help us and um, help us to be consistent in our reading of the word, but also help us to do it with purpose so that we might grow and honor you in all we do. Thank you for our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hunter, I saw you filling some stuff out there. Can I see? You got them all. Great job. Yeah. Looks like a fighter jet. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.